Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Well, if you have a Bible, uh, I want you to open it to Galatians chapter 4. My purpose today is to just add uh, a sort of topping to what Daniel just presented to you. And so we're going to read from Galatians chapter 4. As you know, we've been working through Ephesians and we're taking a break in Ephesians to consider how we as a church might create a culture of adoption and orphan care here at this church, not just once a year, but that it would be something that is woven through the very fabric of this church. And so this morning, my purpose is to just briefly think about and consider the beautiful theology of adoption, how all of us as Christians, those of us that have believed in Jesus, that have repented of our sins and placed our faith in what Christ has done on the cross, have been adopted by our Heavenly Father. And then I'm going to look at how we as a church are called to be a church that creates a culture of physical adoption in our church. And then I'll end with three exhortations that I want all of us in this room to consider. And then we will receive the Lord's Supper together as a faith family. If you're using one of the chair Bibles in front of you, Galatians chapter 4 is found on page 686. And we're going to spend a few moments there and then consider how we as a church are called to adoption. Well, let me read Galatians 4, verses 1 through 7, and then I'll pray. And then we will work through this beautiful theme of adoption. Paul writes to a church that is probably a group of people that is much smaller than the group of people that is in this room. He writes these words midway through his letter to them. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for the beautiful passage from Romans 8 that Sarah read earlier. Thank you for that beautiful testimony of the adoption of 
Josiah Horde and the soon-to-be adoption of little precious Charlotte. Father, as we as a faith family come now to think about how you have adopted us and to consider how you are calling us to be not just receivers of your adopting grace, but to be channels of it in our world and how we are called to be a culture that cares for orphans. Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would stir our affections for Jesus, that you would press on those of us in this room who are already Christians so that we might, that we might radically give ourselves to the cause of orphan care. And Lord, I pray for people in this room who have not yet trusted in Jesus, who have not yet been adopted into your family. Lord, would you let them see this morning that you are clearly their creator, but this morning you can become their father if they will turn and trust in what Jesus has done. Help us now as we consider these things, and we pray these things for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's three things that I want to, uh, us to think about from this passage, about a theology of how we as Christians, those of us that are in this room that are Christians, have been adopted by God through Jesus' work on the cross. The first thing that I want us to see from this passage as we consider adoption is, is that we, all of us in this room, were born orphans and are separated from God due to our sin. Look at verse 3 of the passage we read in Galatians chapter 3. It says, In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. None of us, none of us in this room are natural born children of God. But we really don't think that way in kind of our speech. We sort of think of everybody that is created, every person that has ever lived as being a child of God. But the Bible doesn't really speak like that. In fact, it doesn't speak like that at all. Certainly all of us are created by God, but only those of us that have turned and trusted in Jesus and what he has done are actually children of God. In fact, that's what the Bible says in John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. This is what the gospel writer says. He says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so it's important for us to just think about, as we're looking in this text, that we were all enslaved to sin. And this sin which all of us have participated in, whether that sin has obvious public manifestations and consequences, or whether that sin is more internal, religious self-righteousness, all of us have turned from God, trusted in ourselves, loved broken counterfeit idols more than we've loved God, and this has alienated us. It has orphaned us from the fatherhood of God, and that's where we stand when we're born. This is what J.I. Packer, one of my favorite British cats, he's getting old, but man, one day I just want to kiss his ring um, if I ever get to meet him in a conference. Uh, little Italian godfather analogy there, lighten up, friends. Um, <laughs> This is what J.I. Packer says in his book, Knowing God, in his chapter 19 called Sonship, which this book is sold in our resource center. This would be a great, this is a classic book. 
He says, the idea that all are the children of God is not found in the Bible anywhere. The gift of sonship to God becomes ours not through being born, but through being born again. Friends, none of us were desirable or likely candidates for God's grace. We were, as it says later in the book of Ephesians, which we'll get to in chapter 2, we were without hope in this world. Friends, you don't fully understand the gospel until you realize your natural born state before God, separated from God due to your inherited sin nature and due to, by our, all of us, our own willful choice to turn away from God. The good news is is that Paul continues in verses 4 and 5. And that brings us to our next point, is that Jesus, our big brother, redeems us by paying the penalty that the law or the holiness of God, the justice of God, requires. This is what it says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. It says, and you who were dead in your trespasses. We could also say, Another thing for being dead in our trespasses, trespasses, you who were orphaned by your sin and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. In other words, that document of the law of God, which represents the holiness of God and gives illumination to our minds of how separated we are from God that stood against us. Jesus canceled the legal demands of that law. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. And he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. And so this is what Paul says in verses 4 and 5. Back in Galatians chapter 4, he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, Jesus, to be born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. So this is what's happening on the cross. Jesus is coming. We have all orphaned ourselves. We have all broken God's law. We have all transgressed His holiness. And that has had consequences far beyond just making our life less than optimal. It has alienated us, separated us, orphaned us from God. Because we have broken the law. And Jesus comes in the flesh, fully man and fully God. And he fulfills the law. Where we broke it, he obeys it, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8. And he stores up righteousness in his life. And he lays down his life willingly on the cross. And he now absorbs, he becomes a substitute. And he redeems, he pays the penalty that God's holiness demanded of fallen humanity. Friends, this is the essence of the gospel. This is at the core of the Christian message. This is why we worship. This is what the Bible is all about. The holiness of God, the fallenness of man, and the redemption and the work of Jesus to bridge the gap between sinners and a holy and righteous God. And so Jesus, in his perfection, lays down his life on the cross And on the cross, He redeems us. He justifies. He makes right His people by satisfying the holiness of God. And His death on the cross absorbs 
God's righteous judgment for the sin of all those that would turn and trust in Jesus. The theological term for this is justification. Jesus takes our sin and he removes it, as Psalm 103 says, from the east to the west, as far as the east is from the west. He makes us right. He forgives us. He calls us not guilty by his work on the cross for all those that would turn and trust in God. And friends, this is a beautiful thing. We could spend weeks and months glorying in the beauty and the benefit and the glory of justification, of how Jesus has removed the sin of his people by his wrath-absorbing work on the cross. But it gets even better than that. Because Jesus came to redeem us by paying the penalty the law requires, but it does not stop there. And that's the third point I want you to see in this theology of adoption, that Jesus secures for us not just justification, but he secures for us our adoption as sons. Listen to what Paul says as he goes on in the second half of verse 5. He says there at the beginning, to redeem those who are under the law, this justification, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, you're no longer an orphan, you're no longer dead in your sin, but you are now a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So Jesus doesn't just come to justify us and remove our trespass, remove our guilt. He comes to make us part of God's family. And we now have intimacy, access boldness. This is what Packer says a little bit later on in that book, Knowing God, in chapter 19, about this concept of adoption. He says, this free gift of acquittal and peace, won for us at Calvary, is wonderful enough in all conscience, but justification does not of itself imply any intimate or deep relationship with God the judge. But contrast this now with adoption. Adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love and viewing God as father in adoption God takes us into his family and fellowship he establishes us as his children and heirs closeness affection and generosity are at the heart of the relationship to be right with God the judge is a great thing but to be loved and cared for by God the father is a greater I don't know how else to illustrate this to you. I've told you this story before for those of you that were around uh, at Crosspoint in the early years. Uh, This is the only way I can wrap my mind around what it means to be a son, kind of to give you a visual picture. I mean, I can wrap it around, obviously, through the scriptures, but this just sort of hammers home to me. I I grew up, as you know, in the uh, the nation of California, which is actually west of here, Um, and uh, I, I go home only when I moved away. I left home when I was 18, went away to college. And after college, I was stationed here at Fort Benning, Georgia, met a girl, uh, went in the Army, got out of the Army, came back here, started having babies. My father-in-law put a gun in my head and said, you're not taking my daughter to California. And so it was settled, and we're, we're, we've, moved, we've lived here in Georgia. Not really. That didn't happen. But, um, <laughs> but so for the past 22 years, since I was 18 years old, I have gone home to California maybe once a year for a week just to visit my parents. 
They still live in the same house that I grew up in, 503 Winsley Avenue in El Centro, California, 92243. And so they're right there, the corner house, corner of Fifth Avenue and Winsley, down the street from Stark Field. And so when I go there, we got off the Interstate 8, we fly into San Diego, we drive the hour and a half through the beautiful desert, so we go from the prettiest city, people ask me, where are you from? Southern California, oh, that's beautiful, yeah, San Diego, but where I'm from is like nowhere emptied into nothing. So we go out of the beautiful San Diego mountains there off the beach, and we drive down into the valley where nothing lives except tumbleweeds and lizards. And so we get off the Interstate You get off the interstate at 4th Avenue, you take a left, and then you go for about a mile, and then you take a left on Winsley Avenue, and one block down, you see this old white house, which is where Joe and Linda, who I affectionately call mom and dad, still live. And you pull into that driveway, and Mr. Smith, who's been our neighbor for the past 40 years, has this big, dusty Winnebago that he hasn't moved in the past 40 years. It's a real eyesore, but it was a great backstop when I was a kid. We would throw against that thing, and he'd fuss at us because of the dents, but it's parked there. And I get out of the car with my wife and my four children. Actually, we've never actually taken our youngest son, Abraham. I think we're going to do a road trip to California this summer. But here's what I do, right? I walk into that house, and I don't have to knock. I walk, I open the door. I haven't lived there for 22 years, but I don't need to knock. I don't care if my dad's in his boxers. I'm walking through the door. And I hug my dad and I hug my mom. My dad is inevitably watching Sports Center for the fourth time this day. My mom is over there doing some little craft. And I go straight into the kitchen. And because my mom knew that I was coming home, she's going to have these seven-layer bars that are just, just sugary sweetness, that are just cholesterol waiting to clog my veins. And she's made them especially for me. I don't ask if I can have some. And I don't even just take a piece that she cut out. I cut out a big old piece and I Stuff it in my mouth because I am a son of Joe and Linda, and that's my house. But here, no, no, it gets even better than that. Don't, don't clap yet because it gets even better. Because <laughs> this is the test of sonship right here. Then I go to the refrigerator. And I open up that refrigerator, and in the side door of that refrigerator, inevitably, is an ice-cold carton of milk. And you know what I do with that carton of milk? I pop that baby open. I don't go to the cupboard to get a cup. I go straight from the carton, man. Straight from the carton. You know why I can drink from the carton at my house? Because I am a son. Now I'm quick to back it off an inch, right? I don't let my lips touch, at least when my mom's in the kitchen. But I drink milk from the carton at Big Joe's house because I am Big Joe's son. Now, if you tried to drink milk from Big Joe's milk carton, things wouldn't go so well for you. You'd get a little awkward. But I'm a son of Joe, and I drink straight from the milk carton. That's what it means to be a son or a daughter. It's a picture of the fact that God has not just saved us to forgive us of our sins and then send us on our merry way, but he has secured for us. Jesus has secured for us adoption as sons. And now then it gets even better than that. He gives us his Holy Spirit that we actually then experience this reality. And this spirit comes into our hearts and it cries out, Abba, Father. And this Abba, Father is not just some sort of like cute coo of a baby. That Abba, Father, phrase means a cry of desperation to the one whom you know is the only one that can truly help. And that's the cry 
that the spirit of adoption gets into us and cries from us, Abba, Father, to the Father who alone can rescue the orphan. Adoption, friends, is at the very heart of the gospel. That God has not just saved us to redeem us, but He has saved us to be sons and daughters of God. So friends, how can those who have been recipients of God's adopting grace, how could they not want to then make the rest of their life about picturing and modeling God's adopting grace? And that brings us to now this exhortation, this culture that we want to create at Crosspoint. And I want us to briefly and finally just think about a few ways and a few things that I think the Lord is saying to us about creating a culture of adoption and orphan care at Crosspoint as a picture, as a physical object lesson of our spiritual adoption. One, as God's adopted children, we are clearly called to care for orphans. You could spend the whole Sunday just thinking about this and looking at scriptures that call us to this, but let it just suffice for me to read from James chapter 1, verse 27, his beautiful verse that says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The ESV version uses that word visit but really that word can also maybe better be translated to care for, to look after orphans and widows in their affliction. Friends, clearly the scriptures call us as recipients of God's grace to not only witness for him, but to be a haven, to be those that care for, as Jesus says in the Gospels, the least of these. Some of us in this room are called to adopt. In fact, that is one of the purposes of this Sunday and this thing that we are wanting to create this culture in our church to bring it before us that there are people in this room who have adopted, not just the hordes, but there are people in this room who we believe that God is and will call to adopt children or to participate as foster parents. There are some in this room who are called to be respite workers to provide relief for foster families. Did you know that if a person serves as a foster family here in Georgia, they can't ever leave that child, they can't just leave that child with somebody that, even if it's a friend, that's not part of the system. And so there's this need for respite workers to come alongside foster families. Some in this room are called to financially support adoption the adoptive efforts of families in this church in a sacrificial way. Some may be called to help organize fundraisers for adopting families. Some of us are just called to encourage and come alongside and in practical, tangible ways help families that are called to physically adopt. As God's adopted children, we are all in this room, if we're Christians, we are all called to in some way care for orphans. James 1.27 applies to all of us. Secondly, creating a culture of adoption and orphan care at Crosspoint helps us realize 
and see and model the gospel because it is costly. And this points to the cross. Adoption, physical adoption and orphan care uniquely are poised to picture the costly nature of our spiritual adoption. It's hard to adopt a child, to bring a child into your home, to integrate them into your family. Financially, it's difficult. Our adoption team that we're forming here that will lead our our adoption roundtable next Sunday evening estimated, they've told me in their experiences, it's at a minimum $30,000 for a family to adopt a child. And sometimes much more than that if there's international adoption involved. Adoption is costly. And this points to the cross. And we as a church need to create a culture where that cost is a shared burden. Third, I want you to know that our aim in adoption, the aim of every family that adopts is, is to glorify God, not ourselves. Adoption has almost become kind of trendy with adoption, with, with Hollywood stars, you know, like Brangelina or whatever we call them, but, you know, Brad and Angelina Jolie, you know, every other month they seem to be getting off a plane with a, you know, cute little baby with a different color skin. And look, I'm not, what, that, that's fine. But it's almost like in this sort of pop culture sort of sentimentality that's like, it's really kind of altruism. It's really kind of about them and their heart. When, friends, in adoption, I think the Christian clearly cares nothing about glorifying ourselves. And in fact, if we go into it thinking, that, hey, I've just, this is really something I should do. This is baby's cute. I mean, friends... What, what about babies that aren't cute? What about babies that are born with fetal alcohol syndrome? What about babies that are born addicted to crack cocaine? What about babies that are born with terrible disabilities? What about babies that can't walk? What about babies that will take a lifetime of care? What about babies that we adopt that we know that in a few years they're suffering from some syndrome that is going to take their life? Where's the sort of cuteness in that, friends? If, if we, as our motivation, just do this out of sort of morality to make ourselves feel better because we're suffering with upper-class, middle-class Christian guilt, friends, the, the end of this thing will be our own glory. But that's not what the Scriptures are calling us to. Our hope here is to glorify God in adoption, not ourselves. And that's what the scriptures say about our own adoption. It's not just meant to terminate on us, but there's something even far greater going on even in our spiritual adoption. We just read it a couple weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. This is what the apostle Paul writes about our spiritual adoption and its ultimate goal. It says that in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, listen to this, why then, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So really there's an even deeper aspect of your salvation and my salvation. It's not just because God loves us, which is a beautiful enough point for us to ponder all day long, but God loves us to display his glorious grace. And likewise, physical adoption is not about us. It's not about doing a good work. It's not about adding to our family to have just some sort of thing that makes us feel good. It is about 
the praise of God's glorious grace. And that leads me to my fourth and final point about creating a culture of adoption and orphan care at Crosspoint is that our goal in adoption, whether you are called to adopt, called to foster, called to give, called to come alongside financially, called to support in tangible ways, our goal is that the children might be adopted into God's family, not just have their temporal earthly circumstances improved. We are uniquely prone as Americans to think that a better standard of living means salvation. And there's this sense in our hearts because all of us have refrigerators and air conditioners, at least most of us in vehicles, and even those of us that are maybe lower, lower income are, are really rich compared to most of the people in the world. And, and we're so prone to this idea that if we could just get some child out of a poor situation, maybe a third world country or maybe a poverty-stricken neighborhood, even here in our city, that their life will all of a sudden be better just because they have a good school to go to and close. And friends, certainly we want to we provide for children, but do you realize there, that materialism, materialism and the idolization of riches and stuff has killed far more people in this world than poverty has? It has dragged away far many more hearts than poverty has. And so we need to remember as we step off on this venture together as a faith family that our goal is not just to improve the earthly circumstances of a child, although certainly we will give whatever we have, but adoption is about the opportunity to bring a child not just physically from one place to another, but into God's family so that that child might be raised in a culture where Jesus is king, where that child's heart might be put in soil, where the gospel is preached clearly and where people live in grace so that that child in God's providence and in his sovereign grace might be more poised to turn from sin and trust in Jesus. What good does it do, friends, just to give kids better clothes and better food for 70 or 80 years if they're, if they're not with Christ forever? Friends, who cares about stuff? Our goal is to leverage whatever God has given us for the sake of eternity. So the goal of adoption in this church, I pray, would ultimately be about spiritual adoption into God's family. I end with three exhortations. First, friends, consider the wonder and beauty of God's adopting grace through Jesus Christ in your own life. We're not, we're not trying to just get you to think specifically about our responsibility. This needs to flow from this understanding of how we even became Christians. If you're a Christian, today your heart, your your affections need to be stirred. My affections need to be stirred that God didn't choose me because I was a, a cute little American kid who did good on his SAT and has any particular gift or something. He didn't choose me because I could throw a curveball or 
because I want a spelling bee. He, didn't, he doesn't choose you because you can get the job. He, he chooses you because he loves you. And he loves you because he loves you. And he loves you because he loves you to the praise of his glorious grace. And the idea, the theology, the truth of adopting grace should humble us. And it should cause us to stare into the face of God, the Father who loves us because he loves us. And that should produce humility and also confidence. That he didn't save us because of us. And this should cause us to stare at the wonder and the beauty of God's adopting grace through Jesus Christ. And friends, if you're not a Christian in here today, and you realize that, or maybe you came into this room thinking that you were, and by God, by his sovereign grace, has just caused the scales to fall from your eyes and convicted you of your sin, and caused you to doubt whether or not you truly know Jesus. You know what that is? That's grace. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now. You came into this room and you, you thought you were a child of God and now you realize that you're not and you realize, that yes, God's your creator. Well, friends, here's the good news is that, is that now y- y- you, you can be a child of God too. Robert quoted it uh, in his prayer. I was thinking, boy, that stood out to me when Robert said that. He said, the very thing that God commands, he gives. And what he commands from you right now is to turn and look at Jesus. He's not asking you to conjure up faith or to consider how much better you are than the next guy. We sang it in a song. It says, if you tarry until you are better, you will never come at all. And so right now, if the Holy Spirit is hitting your heart and you are realizing that you may not be a Christian, what do you do? You don't do anything, friends. You breathe, and that breath is faith and repentance. Look to Jesus right now. Look to Jesus. Look to the one who did all of the work on the cross so that you might be adopted. Do adopted babies in the crib, in the orphanage in the Ukraine, or in some third world country, or here in Muskogee County, do they cry out to their parent and present their case to be adopted? No, friends. The adopted child is helpless. Likewise, you are helpless. All you need to do is cry, Abba, Father, to the only one that can help. And he gives you the very breath that he requires you to cry with. So right now, cry out, Abba, Father, look to Jesus and be adopted. Turn from your sin and trust in Jesus right now. Do it even now. Don't wait. Don't wait for a card to be passed. Don't wait for a prayer that you can recite along with me. Right now, look to Jesus, friends. Look to Jesus, even now. My second exhortation is that everybody in this room would consider whether God may be calling you to adoption or foster care. There are two ways to have children. Natural, birth, and adoption. Both should be open to all Christians for consideration. And friends, if I could just very gently and pastorally say that adoption, physical adoption, must not be seen in our church as merely a second option for couples that may be struggling with infertility. And adoption must not be seen in the hearts of those who are struggling with infertility as somehow a second best option for God's plan for your family. Don't don't think that way. Don't relegate this beautiful picture of the heart of the gospel to some sort of second best plan. 
And don't think that just because maybe you were able to have biological children that you may not be called, that we, that I may not be called to do this. If you may be right now feeling God's tug to consider adoption, I encourage you to come. I encourage everybody in this room to come next Sunday evening, as Wayne mentioned, to the round table in the evening on the 13th. And finally, friends, whether you're called to adopt or not, consider how you might help, whether it be financially, whether it be coming alongside an adoptive family, or whether it just be praying that God would press on our hearts so that this church and this faith family would be radically, sacrificially committed to picturing, displaying the heart of the gospel through the physical adoption and care of orphans among us. In just a moment, we are going to receive communion together as a faith family. If you are a Christian, then you are invited to come to this table with us. If you're not a Christian, you haven't yet trusted in Jesus, and you need to understand that this meal that we're about to receive together is, is a family meal. It's a meal that sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, do together to remember what made us children of God, which was Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, his work on the cross. The bread represents his broken body. It was crucified for us. The juice represents his spilled blood, which washes us white as snow. As we take it this morning, friends, the Bible exhorts us in Corinthians to examine ourselves, to remember what Jesus has done for us. And whether you are a member of this church or not, if you are a believing Christian, you are welcome to receive communion with us. I'm going to pray. So ushers, if you would come forward to be prepared to serve. Father, as we now come to your table to remember the work by our big brother Jesus, the work that made us alive, the work that secured our adoption. Lord, would we examine our lives in light of that? As recipients of this grace, God, what is our life about? Are we just a cesspool of divine goodness and grace? Are we hoarding for ourselves trinkets that will fade away? Are we killing ourselves spiritually with comfort? Lord, would you press on us by that very same spirit that you sent into our hearts to cry out, Abba, Father, would you press on us even now so that we might examine our lives and examine this call to be a culture, a church, a faith family that radically gives itself to foster care and adoption. Lord, for the person in this room who came in and they were not yet born again. They, oh, they were created by you, but they, 
they didn't really know you as Father. Lord, would you give them the gift of repentance and faith? Would you give them the very thing that you right now require of them? Would you give them the heart that would see what Jesus has done? Would you give them the spiritual eyes to see what Jesus has done? And would they turn from sin? Would they turn from self-trust? And would they look to Jesus even now? Fathers, we come around this table. I pray that this Sunday, in the years to come, we would be able to mark back in the history of our life together as a faith family. And we would be we'd have innumerable testimonies of people that would say, you know, Daniel was speaking. The Holy Spirit pricked my heart to be part of this. When that scripture was read, the Holy Spirit cut open my heart and told me, this is you. But would this not just be a sort of niche, a sort of secondary thing, but God, would you move on us so that this church would be radically committed to mirror the gospel through giving itself to care for orphans. And we come around this table, Lord. Would you stir our affections for Jesus? And I pray it in his mighty name. Amen.